Chapter 13, Filling the Void. Let's face it, everyone wants to have a great life filled with great relationships and deep satisfaction. However, they may not be doing what it takes to experience it. Just think about what people do in their spare time from binge-watching TV shows to hours of playing video games. The majority of people are on their phones playing games or watching movies. I would surmise that every one of those individuals are trying to satisfy some element in their life that is not full. For the ones playing a game, action, excitement, or personal challenge. It's very natural, and I get it. For the ones watching a chick flick, perhaps it's a void in their relationship, so they experience it by watching a movie. Whatever it is, it wouldn't take much brain power to figure out that they are probably getting some form of substitution for the real thing. The idea of using this time for self-development or reflection is uncommon, to say the least. Indeed, most people are engrossed in a vacuum of mindless short-term gratification rather than meaningful personal development. So many are caught up in the vortex of living a superficial substitute life. Rather than participating in an actual competition of sorts, they have chosen an imaginary life devoid of living a life of excitement, intrigue, and adventure. This is exactly the reality that I came to 10 years ago when I wrote, Are You Happy? I realized there were so many things in my life that I was living vicariously, things that I wanted to experience but only read about or imagined them as possibilities. Then, in what seemed like a flash of light or a satori, the Japanese word for awakening, I became disgusted with the substitute life paradigm, and everything changed, not suddenly, but in a steady, consistent progression. I began a deliberate process of developing my skills, abilities, and intellect so I could personally experience everything that I subconsciously believed was only reserved for a select few. I realized with total clarity that I could do anything I could dream of if I was willing to apply deliberate and relentless continuous improvement. I realized the power of my effort when my brother, who has an IQ significantly higher than mine, said to his little brother, a D&C student, Paul, you have become quite the intellect. The most shocking thing to me is that this phenomenon of filling the void is global. People in remote villages glued to their phones instead of working or engaging with their friends and family. People frittering away their time instead of developing their lives and relationships. Dr. Victor David Hansen, an historian in the classics, observed that when societies experience these extraordinary luxuries, such as a cell phone in the hands of an eight-year-old that's more powerful than 10 IBM mainframes just a few decades ago, this time warp of reality, this luxury in relationship to the effort can make you lazy. Luxury makes you lazy. Hey, let me drop this supercomputer in your hand for just a few hundred bucks when the same thing would have been a quarter of a million dollars just 20 years ago. Why go out and run when you can experience it in 3D while sitting on the couch staring at your phone? Mr. Amazawa says, money wrecks your brain. In the opening statement of my audiobook, Two Second Lean, I said, money suffocates creativity. 
Shingo said there are four kinds of engineers. Number one, the white glove engineer, the one that never gets its hands dirty. The niet engineer, which is the Russian word for no. It can't be done. We've already tried it. The catalog engineer. Every time they want to solve a problem, they just open up a catalog and buy something. And the fourth engineer is the one that washes their hands 10 times a day. This is the engineer that is connected in reality to the effort it takes to actually get things done. We have disconnected ourselves in so many regards with substitutions. Shingo's reference to the catalog engineer is in line with the idea that if we have abundance, we will just choose to buy something rather than use our creativity. We become lazy in our abundance, and in doing so, we miss the very essence of life, hard work, discovery, and resourcefulness. In essence, we have substituted the important elements of life for a luxurious existence which just serves it to us, devoid of all the hard work and diligence it takes to create this abundance. While these statements are not absolutes, they have some real relevance, and we should all be cautious and never let anything become a substitute for hard work, diligence, and personal self-development. Dr. Hansen also went on to elaborate that oftentimes in the presence of such incredible abundance, we somehow lose the sense of collective gratitude as a society. The average person across the globe holds a phone that is more powerful than all the computers used to land a man on the moon. We have been born into a time that has afforded us so much. If as individuals and as a society we lose this collective gratitude, we will be victims of the corruption of luxury. This corruption will separate us from the true elements of life and in the process create a substitute that will never satisfy us and atrophy our mind and spirit. When I was in Bhutan, a remote third world country, tucked at the edge of the Himalayas, I was shocked that even in that beautiful country that most people have never heard of, let alone know where it is, even there they are affected by this phenomenon. As I walked through the markets selling fruits and vegetables, I noticed that almost Every vendor was on their cell phone playing games. It seemed like we are all universally asleep worldwide. We no longer go out and run and experience the adrenaline rush that exercise gives us. Instead, we punch buttons on our mindless 4K screens and receive a fake adrenaline rush that is not even close to the real thing. About a year ago, when I spoke at Steelcase about lean health, I made the point that we have become a substitute society. We have substituted packaged food for real food, social media for relationships and talking to each other. We substitute porn for meaningful sexual relationships and video games for real exercise. But of all the substitutions that I've seen over the past 40 years, I don't think any is compared to the worldwide addiction to alcohol. Every evening, billions are bellying up to the bar to have a good time. Alcohol is the poorest substitution of a good time that I think I've ever seen.
Besides being incredibly fattening, expensive, and a colossal waste of money and no nutritional value, it has deep health ramifications and directly screws up your most important asset, your brain. Its mind-numbing effect then leads to the early morning regret, and so many business people's professionalism is undermined by their own doing as they become fools at the bar at night. Do I want to do business with a drunk? I don't think so. You don't have to look far to see the endless tragedies that alcohol has created. One of the most infamous examples is Teddy Kennedy and Chappaquiddick. A family that endured so much hardship from external and internal forces is battered yet again by alcohol. Worse yet, an innocent girl dies and an innocent family is destroyed. I love Donald Trump's admonition to his children. Don't drink, don't smoke, and don't do drugs. It's that simple. He then went on to say that because he didn't drink, he had a strategic advantage over all the other business people who were constantly intoxicating themselves late into the evening, when he was perfectly sober to make favorable deals for his company. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a teetotaler, but alcohol has no hold on me. A glass of wine occasionally, but nothing more. Everything else is an abuse of my body, my money, my health, and my cognitive abilities. I believe this substitute society is an attempt to fill a void in our life with something that will never satisfy. And we are stuffing all kinds of things down holes to fill voids that will accomplish nothing regarding our true happiness. When I was out of shape and overweight, I would eat to bring pleasure to myself because I was so stressed out. This was my way of filling the void that stress and anxiety had created. Food masked the pain and then created more pain every morning when I looked at myself in the mirror. I have seen people spend tens of thousands of dollars on clothes, shoes, and accessories to make themselves look better when what they really needed to do is stop eating bad food, the wrong food, and too much food. Let's not stop there. Then we compound the problem by buying more clothes to cover up from eating incorrectly and we substitute yet again the idea of feeling really good about having a healthy, fit body with fancy designer clothes. Let me tell you, I've seen super wealthy men and women in fancy clothes, jewelry, and shoes, and accessories strut their stuff as though they were so impressive. Recently, I saw a woman in a small shop in a third world country with a $30,000 Birkin purse and clothes to match thumbing through a stack of $100 bills two inches thick as she bought 30 more rings and accessories. Some would say, wow, impressive, not me. Maybe in my past life, but now I know better. I could afford to do the same thing, but it has no interest to me. Impressive to me would have been if she was fit and thoughtful instead of rich, overweight, and conspicuous. This is not intended to be an indictment on being wealthy and successful. Not at all. I've learned about the real sign of wealth, though. It's individuals who are deeply engaged in their mind and taking care of their body. That's impressive, and it doesn't cost a dime. That's called using your head, not your wallet. 
Have you ever noticed the people that are really fit don't need to wear a lot of clothes? This statement is more about showing their fitness than the designer label. A fit body is the ultimate designer label. You're living in respect of the gift of life given by your designer in exactly the way it was intended to be used. I have seen people lethargic at work and uninterested in high performance while on the clock, but as soon as you get them on the basketball court or baseball field, they become crazy and competitive and play with intense energy. Why? We have become comfortable with finding substitutes for the things that don't satisfy us and should. Why shouldn't work be just as amazing as the baseball field? Why shouldn't our work and our jobs be extraordinary? The answer is, it should be, and it could be, but it requires going to work every day and not thinking about doing the work, but how to do the work better. This simple but profound change in mindset can transform anyone's work into a game of continuous improvement. No different than playing baseball, basketball, or any other competitive sport. It is that simple. Essentially, we are distracted in exactly the same way an illusionist gets his audience to look somewhere else while the magic is happening right in front of them. You're looking in the wrong direction. Turn your head 15 degrees and you will be shocked how your view will change. Stop looking in the wrong direction because what you're doing is failing to develop and work on those things which will truly bring meaning to your life. If you just look at the act of work, it is something we spend the majority of our life doing. The idea that it should not be fun, engaging, enlightening, and a gratifying daily experience is sheer craziness. Don't fill the holes and voids in your life with these substitutes. Don't do it. Don't let it happen. It's a fake. It's a fraud. It's a substitute, and the real thing is a thousand times more satisfying. This is one of the most important lessons I have learned about having a lean life. Get the real thing. Develop the real thing. Experience the real thing. Expect nothing less than excellence. Get the real thing. The one thing. Name one thing you're filling with a fake, a fraud, or a phony substitute. Get the real thing and be deeply satisfied.